Hello and welcome to another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You. This is episode 53, our uh, contractual obligation Christmas episode, because we said at the end of last episode that we were going to watch Krampus, because Krampus was out mm-hmm. in theaters and it seemed like an appropriate thing to do. Time sort of went by and we didn't get it out in time for it to be as topical as it could be. You can probably still find Krampus in some theaters somewhere, depending on where you live. Uh, but It's still uh, playing in New York. I saw it yesterday, <laughs> and it's January 3rd. Yeah, it's, it's playing in a couple theaters in Portland. Well, technically, I had to drive to Vancouver to find it in a decent theater. But, uh, <laughs> you had to go to a different country? Uh, state. There's there's a small there's a small city called Vancouver, north of Portland, just across the uh, Columbia River. Ah. Uh, so it's much closer than the actual... Yeah, I, I, would, I would not drive to Canada for anything but a really exceptional movie, and that would have to be a hell of a situation. But... Uh, but no, I, I drove across the river to Vancouver, Washington, uh, to see it at the the Regal Vancouver Plaza Ten, uh, and uh, I only paid three seventy five for it. So that's nice. that's an upside. I did spend twelve dollars on nachos and a coke, but nice. I, those nachos uh, were pretty good. Oh man, I wish I'd brought lactate. That way, I wouldn't have had nachos. But <laughs> I had the good enough time smelling the nachos of the person behind me. I spent, I spent about. I'm going to say. Eight hours in movie theaters between Friday and Saturday. On, on, on Friday, I finally, you know, after you know having some people over for New Year's and just like at this point, completely, just like no part of Star Wars went unspoiled, <laughs> even though I tried to <laughs> avoid all of the spoilers and like I didn't watch any. I didn't even watch the second trailer. I don't think, and yet I managed to like ambiently absorb all of the incredibly predictable plot twists in The Force Awakens. So we finally went to go see it, and my knowledge of the spoilers uh, really did not affect my enjoyment of it at all. Yeah, you know. I really enjoyed it. I mean, we, we, we should not get into them here since uh, it'd be kind of like, hey, everybody, let's talk about Krampus Star Wars spoilers. But uh, even the biggest spoilers in it were kind of like, I mean, I could see being like, oh, well, I knew that ahead of time, but it's not like it would change the movie. You know, it's it's a Star Wars movie. Yeah, uh, there's... God, I wish this was a movie podcast that wasn't just about horror films and we could just say, fuck <laughs> it, let's talk about Star Wars, but... <laughs> We'll stay on mission. <laughs> Bait and switch. We'll just, we'll just chat a little bit about <laughs> yeah. Star Wars here, and then we'll move yeah. on. <laughs> and then um, I uh, – so there was like one theater like near me that I could find. That was the Village East, so I had to go out to Manhattan uh, to watch Krampus. And it turned out that they were playing the uh, Hateful Eight Roadshow. And I thought the Roadshow was only through um, – January 1st, and if you don't know what the Roadshow is, uh, Quentin Tarantino's new movie, Hateful Eight, was shot in 70mm, um, and Panavision, uh, which, because I think The Master, uh, P.T. Anderson's The Master, was shot in 70mm, but not Panavision, which is just like a really, really wide... um, Wide, yeah, it's like uh, one to two eight five or something like that. Yeah, it's something like, it's something really intense, and they haven't shot a movie using it in like... 50-ish, maybe 40, 50 years and before that, like 20 years before that. So it's it's not widely used. Uh, Cinerama, that's it. They, it used to like have like a curved screen that was composed yeah. of like uh, less than like, what was it, like seven, it was like seven-eighths of an inch strips that they made like a, like circular, not a circular, but like a, a like a, 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 a curved screen that like, you know, went like to the edges of your field of vision and they used like three cameras to project it and then they went down to one camera and then it went down to a normal screen and then so that's what this is now there's like a road show and you get like a nice program you pay 20 bucks for a ticket instead of 15 um you know there's no trailers or anything or commercials 
and yes, yeah, so I, 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 you know, that was playing at the same theater, and I was just like, oh, I really meant to see this, so I went to go. So I went to the theater. I showed up there at eleven twenty a.m. Uh, or like eleven a.m. The movie started eleven twenty. I watched like the Hateful Eight, which is a th- little over three hours long with an intermission. Uh, I had about ten minutes to use the bathroom, and then I went right into the theater for Krampus. Um, that's 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 tremendous, is what that is. <laughs> yeah, and then I got like the so the small soda was four dollars, the large soda was five dollars. I mean, sorry, the medium soda was five dollars, and then the large soda was five dollars and fifty cents, and came with a free refill. So I drank two tubs of soda. Oh, Jesus! Um, I had to pee in the middle of Krampus, so I missed a part of it. Oh darn! Let me um, tell you. It, yeah, was, I, it was a tautly constructed thriller that you're going to miss out on having not gotten the full context. Yeah, I, I really wish that we could talk about either The Force <laughs> Awakens or The Hateful Eight instead of Krampus, because that was by far like the least entertaining of the three movies I saw this weekend. Um, but we're not going to. We are going to talk about uh, Krampus. Um, what did you think of Krampus? I thought it was, I thought it was a film that exists. Uh, yeah, it was yeah, it's uh, definitely yeah. that. It was not good, is is what, and you know, it's it it was it was a frustrating kind of not good, partly because there's actors I really like in it who didn't get to do anything interesting, and there were bits of it that seemed like they could have been part of a more cohesive movie that would have been like not a good movie necessarily, but at least like a fun. This movie knows what it is, sort of. Movie. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. Like the, it was like totally a mess, and like you know, part of it wanted to be like a, a like a snarky, like mildly transgressive, like eighties type, like you know, family vacation sort of a, you know, slightly body, slightly. The movie, whatever, like, like the first ten minutes of the movie, is mm-hmm. mostly some sort of weird angle on a reboot of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, like unambiguously aware of that because, like, it's it's very much Chevy Chase and, and Randy Quaid, except uh, Adam Scott and. Uh, What's his name? Uh, <laughs> David Ketchner. Yes. Who? Uh, um, what the hell else was he in? Well, he was he was a SNL alum. That's um, and okay, so so he he would be familiar from a bunch of skits from that. He because it's really funny because he plays uh, Allison Tolman. So Allison Tolman completely wasted in this movie. Yes. Yes. Just I, if you um, if you're not sure who she is, like her big the big thing that she did was the Fargo series, and she was like amazing in that. Yeah, she was Molly and, in in the first season of Fargo and fantastic. Yeah, who's like if you have if you've seen if you haven't seen the series but you've seen the movie, she's like the, roughly the like uh, Marge Gunderson equivalent, who is like you know this really like down home Minnesota lady who's also like a brilliant cop and like a like you know a fearless like detective type person. She was she's amazing in it, and in this movie, like there's like brief glimpses of like her potential as like a really good actress and then they just like waste her on like a typecasting yeah she has that, like two good yeah. minutes and the rest of the time she's just like an uh, an upset mom in a film full of parents who are frequently not as upset as they should be if it's going to be a film about parents being upset that their children have been murdered so uh, so so here's here's the funny thing in in fargo the movie uh marge gunderson is married to norm who's played by john carroll lynch yes uh who is in um Oh, he's an American Horror Story as John Wayne Gacy? 
okay. Uh, but he was also he's he's in like a ton of stuff. Like if you if you pull up a picture of him, you'll you'll, you'll know exactly who he is. Um, he was on a recent episode of uh, Walking Dead as uh, Morgan's, you know, judo mentor. Uh, among, uh, among so many yeah, things, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and, and he's an actor who is just like he's very much in like the 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 uh, what do you call it like the Larry Miller sort of vein of like like you know a big balding, not necessarily like you know uh, not not dumb but also like not necessarily very bright sort of guy. And um, have you seen Best in Show? I have. It's been a long. So in Best in Show with 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 Catherine O'Hara's character, uh, who that there's there's this recurring joke that she is just like slept or dated or slept with like a lot of guys, and it's it's funnier in the movie than it than it sounds. But one of the the, the, the recurring joke of the recurring joke is that all these guys look exactly the not exactly the same, but that they've aged into like a very similar looking guy, which is like a big sort of brawny but becoming heavy set balding guy, like Larry Miller. Or like so, John Carroll Lynch would have absolutely been. I'm not not yeah yeah. John Carroll Lynch would have absolutely been one of those guys, as well as David Ketchner. And I'm surprised I'm surprised he wasn't in the movie. Like he's very very much that type of character. So it was super weird seeing him like play the husband of Allison Tolman, who is like the more contemporary Marge Gunderson. It was it was yeah. sort of. And he he was all right. He 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 played his part. He was fine. I mean, who yeah. had anything they could do in this movie is kind of a thing. Like no one, no one had. And the thing Tony is, Collette did enough acting for everybody in this, <laughs> and even that wasn't like <laughs> she. Yeah, I, and I'm not a hundred percent sure who she is. Like I know her name, and I know she goes back. Yeah, no, she's been around um, for a while. She was uh, her probably her first big American role wasn't real big, but it was uh, she was the mom in Sixth Sense. Um, was that that really was her? Yeah, that was her. That, um, but she, she's an Australian act- actress, and she sort of got big uh, in sort of Australian film. Hmm. Uh, Muriel's Wedding was, I think, sort of her big uh, Australian movie years back that I, I think maybe sort of put her a little bit on the map and a little bit more on the map in the U.S. on the sort of uh, foreign indie film scene. But anyway, she's she's a good actress, and uh, yeah. I've seen her in several things where she's just cast as boring American woman. And it's kind of a yeah. And I think they let her break out of that role a little bit in this. Like, and 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 then there's, it's not Adam Scott's fault. He looks like the way he does, but at no point is he. And like, what I understand mean? the fact what that is he's the way he looks. He, so he's forty three. He looks like he's twenty five. Yeah, good for him. Just just great for him. I'm glad he found that painting and hung it in his attic. But, um, <laughs> yeah, at no point is he believable. Like, maybe he's believable as the father of Max, like the little kid. There's no way he's believable as the father of, like, a 15-year-old girl, even though he's old enough to, old enough to be the father of a 15-year-old girl and without, without, like, having had, you know, fathered her at a very young age. He's, it's just he looks so young and he acts quite young that he... If the movie – like if the premise of the movie was that he was Howard's kid, I would have bought that more as long as he had shaved because his beard's kind of graying. Yeah. Like I would have bought that more. And at no point is he – and they try to set this up kind of like um, 
like Hook, like you know at the beginning of Hook when like Robin Williams is like this high-powered lawyer who doesn't spend enough time with his family, and 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 in Hook they set that up really well. Like they, there's like a couple of like extended scenes that show that yeah he is like this dick who's ne- like neglecting his family, and they tried to do a similar thing with Adam Scott, but they didn't set it up at all, and you just sort of had to take it on faith that he's been neglecting his family. But at yeah. no point do we like, see he him takes being a phone anything. Call. Yeah, yeah, and that, like the rest the of the movie, that's the extent of his like you know being a bad dad is he takes a phone call yeah. during a lull before the film starts. It's like uh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and like he's supposed to be like sort of like according to Max that you know he's sort of like you know I wish mom and dad would fall in love again, but at no point is he shown as being anything but like a, like a relatively devoted dad, if just like a bit confused and like you know he's not he like his kid keeps asking him why about like all of these like tough life questions and he doesn't have an answer, which is like a surprising like piece of like realism in this movie even yeah. though it's played for laughs and like he's you know perfectly nice to his wife and they have like tender moments and he loves his mother who lives with them and like that i i don't know if they just decided to not take that string and do anything with it but it sort of messes with his whole like you know kind of like redemption like oh now i'm gonna be a family man kind of arc thing yeah um no, none of it is well, yeah and, and that's of a piece with the whole film i mean the whole thing is like that this i i, I haven't done any I, i've made no attempt to actually find out what the production history of this film is but it really has the feeling of having come from multiple scripts that just sort of they took pieces out of and didn't worry too much about the process of, of synthesizing them. There's three writer credits, one of whom is also, the director. there's a cat fight going on in the background. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, yeah, so Zach Shields, who oh, who worked on The, the, uh, the Conjuring, Todd Casey, who worked on a bunch of Marvel cartoons... And Michael Doherty, who directed this, and also he's he's a big like superhero screenwriter, and he also did a movie called Trick or Treat, which is supposed to be some sort of a a um, like a cult horror movie favorite that I've never in my life heard of. Have you ever heard of Trick or Treat? Nope. Trick apostrophe R Treat. Oh, at the, yeah. that's the toy store, right? What? That, that's you. You buy toys there. No, that that that's no? that's that no? that's toys question mark. Oh, I was thinking Bed Bath R Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote X Men Two, yes, and Superman Returns, well, beloved he, films yeah. X Men Two and Superman Returns. Well, and and I mean, like and he it, directed this. It, it, if there's sort of a weird like comic book superhero pedigree to this film. That makes as much sense as anything, I guess. It's, I don't know. It's sort of like it's it's completely both literally and figuratively bloodless in the way like comic book movies are, where they 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 want them to have violence, but they don't want them to have like gory violence. And so this movie is just you know like you, you know the thing where somebody is like grabbed from underneath and like thrown around really good the first time they did it in <laughs> Jaws. I, was it Jaws that was like the first movie to do that? I don't it's know if it's the first, but it did it very well, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 2015 and if you're going to do that, at least put like some blood in the snow or something because it was just... Uh, well, I think the movie was trying to have it sort of ambiguous. Like, I, I don't... So here's the thing. They're all being, you know, hunted down by Krampus and his minions. Yeah. For reasons that I guess we'll try and sort out, but but in any case, it's not super clear that Krampus is supposed to be 
killing them so much as like taking them away to be punished. And so the, the lack of sort of blood and whatnot, I guess, sort of works that way. But the film also never establishes that. And I feel like that maybe wanted to leave it up in the air as to whether or not people were actually dead or could be rescued or something and sort of flirts yeah. with that a little bit. But as a result, you've got this like, yeah, there's this total non-engagement even when everybody gets taken out. And, and yeah, as, I, yeah. I, I think the movie tries to leave a lot of things about like Krampus and his motives and like, you know, the true whatever the of whatever he's doing, like, you know, vague and a mystery to like, you know, be slightly scarier. But really all it turns into is just us having no idea what's going on because we don't know what the motive of the villain is. Yeah. You know that you know that old uh, I don't know if they still do it, but the Onion AV Club uh, had been doing for a long time uh, directors' commentaries of the Damned or, or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. uh, where, where, where they'll, they'll 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 watch a film that you know the presumption going in is that they're watching a film that's not very good or is actively bad, and they'll listen to the commentary tracks and they'll sort of like sum up the most cringeworthy or embarrassing or diluted bits of those. Uh, and it's always maybe there's a couple of I've wanted to sit down and listen to just because it sounded like an entertainingly troubling thing to read. Yeah, through. yeah, I, I love those because it's definitely like the other end of like you know the whole like nobody set nobody in Hollywood sets out to make a bad movie, and and this is sort of like the other end of that where they've already made the bad movie but now they're proud of it. And that's what the commentary yeah. tracks often are. Is yeah. like these these actors and like you know the, uh, the director producers like incredibly proud of this awful movie. Yeah. Um, and so I I don't I don't really need to ever see Krampus again, but I would I would seriously consider watching it with a commentary track. Just I want to see what the thinking was like and see whether it's like oh well you know we had to cut some stuff here so this part didn't really flow as well or is it going to be like and you see here the ambiguity really leaves you you know the viewers really wondering now it's like what is going on with Krampus and like yeah you know, I kind of want to know what they think I thought versus what I actually thought which was that this was an incoherent uh mess and a waste. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should also explain who or what Krampus is cuz he's he's a mythical character. He's he's I was about to say he's real. Um, <laughs> well, guys, this is a documentary. Real. We should be clear. Yeah. We don't usually do documentaries, but yeah. Well, he yeah he's 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 an actual part of like uh, Austrian like German Austrian Christmas and, and I think like Scandinavian too. Uh, I think there's... I think I think they have Zwart Peter who's different. oh oh maybe yeah yeah I think Krampus is specifically like. Like, I mean, every, all of the, the, the different European countries have, like, slightly different Christmas traditions and slightly different things that they call all the people involved. And so, so Krampus is, he is, they, they actually did a really good job in the movie of referring to him as, like, uh, St. Nicholas's Dark Shadow or something like that, yeah. where St. Nicholas shows up, um, St. Nicholas shows up to, like, you know, reward the good children, and, you know, in America, it's, it's not St. Nicholas, it's Santa Claus, and, you know, the naughty kids get, get coal, or they don't get anything, and that's their punishment. In in Europe, uh, you know, this horned devil, and he, he looks very, very, in, like, a lot of the traditional representations of him, he looks very much like what we, we would consider, you know, depictions of, like, a more, like, feral devil. Like, he's not, like, a... A, a, a red guy with like little horns and like little cloven hooves that look like feet. He's just like More he's like, he's scary like a scary goat, goat man. man. Yeah, yeah. And then he 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 shoves you in a sack and he takes you somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that that's Krampus, and we we don't have him here. And also, there there's been like a a Krampus, not really a revival, but like a cultural like 
people being like, oh, Krampus, because there is no less than like four movies with the word Krampus in them that came out in, like the, in last, the last like, few two years, or three yeah. years, which was... Because I was trying to see if I can get this movie on like VOD or you know bio. <laughs> I tried means. that too, and yeah, it's I, I you can get any of the other Krampuses. This one it doesn't seem like anybody wants to to give it up in any way. Um, I was really surprised by its like complete unavailability in both legitimate and illegitimate uh, arenas. Um, so well, yeah, that, that, I, I saw a couple Krampuses. references to torrents, but I wasn't going to bother with that. So it, no, is there's there's nothing out there. Interesting. I yeah, I, I'm really surprised. Like I've never seen that for like a Hollywood movie. Like back in the day when I tried to get like a copy of Computer Chess before it came out, that one was, you know, I wasn't able to get that. But this is this is like a Universal Pictures movie with like you know Adam Scott in it, <laughs> big celebrity Adam Scott. Yeah. Um, See, I, 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 we've talked about this before, but the thing is, I really like Adam Scott. Like I think he's super funny. I thought he was great in Parks and Rec as a sort of combination straight man and genuinely funny oddball character when they took him in that direction. Uh, I, he's done a bunch of fun podcast stuff. I loved every episode of You Talking You Two to Me that he did with Scott Ackerman. And so him being in a big-ish release... I mean, it was a big release. It wasn't. I don't think it's turned into a big movie, but uh, you know, it's, this was a this was a well advertised Hollywood, you know, Christmas time picture, and uh, and it was just shit, and it did nothing for him. And like, I was joking about this on Twitter yesterday, but like the same thing, like Chris Pratt in Jurassic World. Like, let's take a really great, funny actor, you know, in who was fantastic in Parks and Rec and and has a lot of goodwill because of it, and let's put him in a role that is completely unrewarding to him or people who like him for the work he does. You know, it's like, uh, why? And yet Jurassic World is one of the top five highest grossing films of all time. Well, if if, if there'd been a another huge Krampus movie 25 years ago that this was a sequel to... <laughs> Yeah, that'd be, that'd be and like great you know, for four, four, four more shitty Krampus movies in between. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in twenty five, this movie did relatively well. They made like sixty. What is it? They made uh, almost sixty million on a fifty million dollar budget, which isn't like a raving success, but it definitely made more than its budget back. I guess I'm glad. I mean, I don't want to reward most of the people involved, I guess, but I'm glad it wasn't like, you know, this destroys Adam Scott's movie career or anything. Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd like things to be good for, at the very least, Adam Scott and 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 uh, what's-her-face? Um, Allison Tolman. Allison Tolman. Yeah. I uh, So, okay, maybe we should start by trying to figure out what, if anything, we liked about this movie. Like, like were there things you liked... Um, the opening scene, uh, I, I, I did enjoy. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, yeah, it just, it opens with, um, it's, 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 it's Bing a, Crosby singing, um, it's not Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It, it was something else. It was just one of the yeah, other, like. classic, classic crooner Christmas song. Yeah, yeah. And, and the footage is, uh, slow motion. It's a slow motion like Black Friday trampling in you know a big uh, in a big department store, and you see like all of these people, including children, like beating the crap out of each other and wrestling uh, over toy, uh, yeah. over, over toys, you know, sliding yeah. around corners, knocking each other over. 
Yeah, and then there's um, the, right after that, you know, you see them like all online, like giving up like massive amounts of money, and everybody looks exhausted and miserable. It was it was it was surprisingly funny, and then it just sort of pans to a it's like you know a, a Christmas pageant play, show, yeah, yeah, Christmas pageant, and it's a very mixed one because there's like all of the you know like manger people, um, you know, uh, Mary and like animals, and then there's all like the Christmas people with like you know Santa and reindeer and stuff. And um, the two kids playing Joseph and Rudolph are just beating the crap out of one another. <laughs> uh, and this is how we're introduced to our main characters because Rudolph is uh, Adam Scott's kid, Max, um, who is like he's, he's, clearly much smaller, but he also I, – I, he started the fight, right? I think so, yeah. He's, he's scrappy. Because the other kid um, was – you know. Telling the little kids that Santa wasn't real, and he was like, "No, nah, you can't do yeah, that." Yeah, he was defending the honor of Christmas. He's definitely he, he's definitely like the the moral center of the film uh, to the extent that it has one, which it kind of doesn't, but it thinks it does, and it thinks it's him. It thinks it's this kid. Yeah. Max. Um, well, and that 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 whole opening scene was that was really good. I, I enjoyed that yeah. too. It's like it, it was it was definitely a stronger like three minutes than anything else in the film. Um. Partly by virtue of being in slow motion, I think instead of being a strong minute and a half. But no, it, it, it was it was a fun opening. It did nothing really for the film. You know, it's like like it set our expectations higher than we than yeah. should have. Yeah, it's not like we come back around the mall. There's this film. This film threatens to go in so many directions and then fails. Yeah, to. they were. It was going. They were just like with the part where they're trying to like escape the house. They were just like, well, you know, if this doesn't, you know, we have to go here. And if he doesn't go, we go to the mall. And they never actually go to the mall. And they, I was so bad. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they. Uh, yeah. I have to say that like watching this movie about, um, you know, just like a, a large portion of this movie is about a bunch of people trapped in a house during a blizzard. Um, and who are being like, you know, sort of systematically killed off, sort of killed off right after watching the hateful eight, which is about a bunch of people trapped in a house during a blizzard being systematically killed off was super weird. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of parallels between these two movies that I did not see coming. Um, and I'm going to say the Tarantino one was the better of the two. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'll reserve judgment. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, this, that that whole things we liked. Okay, more things we liked. I'll, I'll not immediately run screaming off. I liked the evil minion toys. Like I didn't think I didn't they think that segment of the film was particularly well. great. But yeah, I liked. Yeah. There was some fun character design there, creature design. You know, yeah, the, I, I I I did like the design, but I felt like there was a lot of okay. Now you grab this inanimate object and you shake it in front of you like it's trying to kill you instead of actual special effects. Which would have been charming in a movie with a lower budget. Yeah, and in this, just seems like laziness. Yeah, no. Where it, this, they clearly had money when they made this movie. Yeah, the, the the direction of it was was not great. I just liked the creatures themselves. So, like, I can imagine if I had to imagine a film that this actually was, that <laughs> that that like was coherent and that I liked, it would have definitely been sort of the dealing with the minions. Because it, it was a little Gremlins, you know. It was yeah, like, yeah. There's it was a lot of weird gremlins-y. scrapping with strange things, and it's funny, and it's you know, it's not scary, but like at least you know, there's some dramatic, you know, flow to the whole thing. Like it's, you know, there's a sense of like you know, action movie 
eventfulness. It, it, it was sort of like puppet mastery where they're like, all right, we're not going to scare you with these dumb little dolls, so at least we're going to try to make it fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and on that sort of that sort of like yeah. if if they had done an hour and a half or maybe an hour and 15 minutes of uh of that sort of like goofy let's fight the evil Christmas monsters, I think that could have been fun. Like, you know, it probably still wouldn't have been like a good movie, but it would have been a movie that had a single tone that it could stick to. It could have like reveled in silly characters because there's a bunch of design work that went into this movie. They just didn't yeah, yeah. do much. The, with the, it. the the Jack in the Box monster was was great. I, yeah, I love um, that one in particular. Yeah, he's he's like a Jack in the Box who at first we see him as just a Jack in the Box and then we don't see the actual creature and then we see him like in the attic appear out of darkness and it's like it's you know a big Jack in the Box clown and then like the lower part of the mouth opens almost like predator to reveal these like horrible teeth and then he's got like this giant it's it's you know just it's it's just like the the, the the what do you call it like the cloth structure of like the inside of the doll but like he's clearly captured a bunch of people in it so it looks sort of like you know either like a boa uh, not a boa is boa constrictor a python and also kind of like you know weird insect thing yeah it, it, um, it it's a nice it's it's a nice gross uh, character design you know there's there's yeah. a lot of nice notes to it the idea of it being this giant thing that started as a tiny jack in the box that we see earlier in the film is nice. You know, like, they, they could almost have made that thing, like, I don't think it could have quite carried a monster movie by itself, but they could have made that sort of, like, a central creature in a, uh, again, sort of creepy puppet monster movie. Yeah. The gingerbread men were dumb. They were dumb. You know, it was it was something where... There's nothing like... I mean, who? how many times have we seen, like, evil gingerbread men? I'm going to say at least, like, once before, and... It's just it's it's sort of like a a a a trope of the relatively niche genre of Christmas horror. Yeah, but like yeah, it's they were they were well done as far as that goes. But I mean, how much can you do with like cackling evil gingerbread men? It was like they could have replaced them with minions. Uh, Yeah, you know, you could have had like a similar sort of feel. But they weren't. I don't know. At least at least I was paying attention. Yeah, (laughs) on screen is like the (sighs) a weird pro gun message in this movie. Um, the guns really do save the day after... To the extent know, that like, they do, which which ultimately uh, they don't. But uh, but, but they are effective. Yeah. They, they definitely... They don't show up and then turn out to be a terrible mistake. They instead turn out to be a useful thing for shooting at at least discouraging monsters with. Yeah. Um, but the it, movie also, like, weirdly touches on, like, issues of class across, like, you know, class lines across families that just, like, it starts, like, asking these questions and then answers none of them and goes nowhere. Yeah, that's, um, that's the fundamental, dis- like, this, like, if I had to pick one word for this movie, it's distracted. It's like, yeah. it, it gets distracted from everything it starts to do in a way that's just really, really hard to, like, you know, find a way yeah. to excuse you yeah, know? like it's 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 there's you know there's two families. The first family is you know Tony Collette, Adam Scott. Uh, they're two kids, and Adam Scott's mom. And they're actually I I, I like the the fact that they're openly referred to as wealthy as opposed to just like their enormous suburban home with like nice things being the status quo the way it was in a lot of movies. Yeah, where like the like their setup like uh, you see like just being like uh, like default middle class sort of thing in movies a lot, but in this one like. Uh, Howard uh, just actively refers to them as like rich people, which yeah. was nice to see. And then you have like the other side of the family who I, I think they're from like Pennsylvania, 
because uh, they mentioned the Steelers, who was the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Presumably, I don't know. Where, where that sounds good. Steelers. From? You, you you keep going. I'll I'll, I'll fact check. Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. So and and they're you know like they they they've got they've got a Hummer and they've got a bunch of kids and you know like it's they're they're clearly supposed to be like the sort of uh, not rednecky because they're not uh, they're I would like they're they're definitely supposed to be like lower middle class or maybe even probably not working class because they have like a, a bunch of nice stuff too just not as much yeah well it's it's um, it's yeah it's weirdly mixed message exactly how we're supposed to take it but definitely they're playing with the idea that there is that sort of class but they're like division coarse yeah they're they're like you know these the, these like coarse um, you know slightly uncouth people who. Who talk about like you know guns at the dinner table or and and you know their kids are are like you know you know they they they're like kind of bullyish and like the small incoherent fat child was <laughs> like he, he basically doesn't have speaking lines does he ever speak I, I don't think he has a single line okay. in this movie. Um, he just sort of like has like this weird dead eyed stare. Um, I, I hope that child gets better looking when he ages. <laughs> really just weird looking kid. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. yeah. So the, it, it, it touches on that, but it never goes anywhere with it. Like they never really explore that whole class dynamic or resentment yeah. between the families. You know, uh, Tony Collette and Allison Tolman are sisters, and that's what the connection between the families is. And and it sort of flirts with the idea that they have ongoing spats, but also care for each other. And that again, there's like like tiny little bits of it. Like you sort of get a sense maybe there's going to be some sort of redemptive sisterhood or exploration of their uh, relationship, which is not what you would expect a whole lot of from a Christmas horror movie to begin with. But you know maybe they're going to do it, but nope. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of this movie is like really well summarized in the fact that they make a big deal out of the fact that Tony Collette kept a bunch of like Christmas ornaments from their mom who's dead. And it was like it's like this, you know, like slightly sort of heartfelt conversation between Tony Collette and uh Allison Tolman and she's just, and Tony Collette is just like, yeah, I figured, you know, this is the way mom would have wanted it to be. Toward the end of the movie, the entire Christmas tree burns down, never brought up again. <laughs> Well, to be fair, by then several children were missing and presumed dead, and they were that's managing true. to muster occasional degrees of concern about it. But uh, again, that's another thing that gets put down. Like there, there's a weird amount of this film that's put into trying to be like a serious holiday melodrama about family and shit. Like you know, Adam Scott's like role in this suffers significantly from the fact that they don't seem to want to let him be particularly funny. You know, which is a, why yeah. would you cast Adam Scott as? But you know they take they take lines that would have been like like they're not super well written lines but they would have been funny if they were delivered in the sort of context that like he does well in like if they if they let him actually if the if the movie had reacted to him delivering a sort of funny line as oh this is actually something that's supposed to be funny that'd be fine but half the time when those came up it would be in what was still being treated as sort of like a family drama conversation and not like a mood lightning answer or anything, just like, oh, well, it's a slightly unexpected way to respond to that. You know, so like it really, there was this vague sort of Hallmark-ish holiday family movie feeling to it that totally doesn't work with the rest of the movie because if you have to stop and take seriously the idea that they're trying to navigate family difficulties and then you go and like murder a couple kids off screen and the parents aren't just fucking broken at that point, then it's like, what? But these 
these pieces do not fit together. Like, you know, they everybody gets like really upset for a couple minutes when it when, when a kid gets eaten or kidnapped or whatever. And then there's like, "Oh yeah, but let's get back to trying to think how we're going to deal with this weird situation we're in." It's like, but yeah, they're much but, less concerned with the fate of their children than one would assume they would be. Like when their daughter disappears, they don't go out like looking for her. They're like, "Well, she should have been back by now." Hmm, I'm worried. Uh, and then, you know, as the kids get, like, eaten one by one, they're still mostly invested in just running around like, you know, chickens with their head cuts, uh, heads cut off than, you know, like, actually trying to be adults and sit down and figure things out. Yeah. And there's, well, like, I- brief moments of that, but then the, there's a lot of just flying by the seat of their pants in, in, in times that that would not, in, in even in a horror movie, doesn't make much sense. Yeah, they they, they sort of take the, the parents take turns being the one who is insisting on going out there and finding them, but that always lasts like one minute each. And 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 the thing is, if again, if you were doing like a serious drama about like a horrible clusterfuck of a situation, like you know, kid lost in the snow or something, but it's actually legitimately dangerous out there, you could get a lot of. You know, traction out of talking about people taking turns trying to convince each other to be rational in the face of a no-win situation. But this wasn't that. This was just like, oh, now it's my turn to be brave for a second, and then people say no, and then you know, it's just like again, just sort of incoherent, just really sort of stumbling around from plot beat to plot beat without seeing any sort of connection between them or any sort of coherent character arc for anybody. I feel like the phrase, a shepherd has to protect his flock, it got thrown around, possibly because it was just a replacement for line. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because they, 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 they really fixate on, on, on that particular thing. Yeah, well, it's... Totally, it, uh, just, just, uh, there's a, there's a extended animated sequence in the middle <laughs> of this movie also that, um... Has no place in this movie whatsoever. Like, it makes sense, and John dies at the end when they clearly don't have enough money to actually show you the stuff that they wanted to show you. And so they, they go to an animated sequence. In this, I, you know, the, the, this, like, briefly turns into a, I mean, it was, it was well animated, I guess. It was, it was like the, the, the German grandmother remembering, um, German grandmother remembering, uh, you know, like the first time that she accidentally summoned Krampus on into like her war torn country or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, the implication was something many years ago when it was bad and she was a little girl, and the bread lines were long and they ran out of bread and her parents were angry and they ripped her Santa doll and so she lost the Christmas spirit and that's how she summoned Krampus to kill everyone she knows or drag them to hell or something. Yeah. Also, everybody in this family is bilingual. <laughs> In like the 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 Adam Scott part of the family, because Adam Scott's mother is German, and everybody understands her when she speaks German, and they all speak English to her. Which, first of all, like I I grew up in a a, a bilingual household like that. They they did not let you speak to them in English. I, I'm telling you right now, that was not like something you you're generally allowed to do. Uh, like my mom allowed that. Definitely not my grandparents. Like it was no. They add they if they ask you a question in in the the, the language you reply in that language. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I like the fact. I, I like the implication that Tony Collette had learned enough conversational German to know what she's talking about because she refuses to speak uh, in English until she does speak in English. At which point Aunt Dorothy is just like, I fucking knew it. Yep. Um, 
Oh, Aunt Dorothy. Which could have been, again, like something. that's something that could have been a great yeah. gag if it was done as a great gag. But, if, you know, it was just... Yeah. This is th- further to the German thing. So sometimes when Grandma speaks German, we get subtitles and we can see what she's saying. And sometimes when she's speaking German, we don't get subtitles and... We just don't get to find out what, what she said. Yeah, but, except for the times that they don't. And it's like oh, the yeah, film yeah. can't decide how much it wants us to wonder what she's saying. But then, yeah, it frequently refuses to do subtitles and then has someone translate, usually Max, but sometimes, yeah. you know. And, and they also Scott. do like the, the, the uh, what, is it, what, what did they do in, uh, oh, in Futurama when. Um, Nibbler starts like talking to Leela, but he's not speaking English. He's just speaking in like Nibblonian. She's like, "What's that? You say that?" And then just like exposition dump. <laughs> it was like that kind of yeah. thing. The difference being that that uh, yeah, a Futurama actually understood that that was a joke, right? And not and good this... script writing practice. So yeah, it's it's really weird and un- unnecessary, but they just do it anyway. And I, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, at no point does this movie know what it wants to do. Yeah. Um, so, other good things we liked about it. <laughs> I, I may have already run through the stuff I liked for the most part. It's it it's really oh it's really it was a really frustrating film to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I I really liked the nachos I ate. They weren't good nachos, but I enjoyed them. It was that it was that movie theater cheesy sauce. That's like it's not even like it's spelled with a Z. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, it cost way too much. They asked if I wanted jalapenos, and I said, sure, I want jalapenos because I've been, like, actually ever eating spicy food the last couple of years. It's kind of a nice. fun new adventure for me. And so they just – she literally, like, you know, gave me a, a plastic, like, solo cup full of jalapenos. <laughs> so I guess I just – and so I just, you know, poured them in periodically and sort of stirred them up in my cheese. And I was like, this is sort of weird. And the scariest moment I had in the whole film was when I – a bunch of liquid came out. I was like, oh, my God, is that going to be super hot jalapeno juice that's been stewing in there? But uh, it turns out it was okay. Um, when so- I went to go see it, the theater was full of, like, unaccompanied young people. <laughs> and I was just like – and when I sat down, I was just like, well, you know, if they yell at the screen, whatever. It's, you know, it's not hateful aid. Then, like, halfway through the movie, I'm like, please, somebody yell at the screen. Yeah, I was – Do something to entertain me. There was a couple sitting next to me who was, like, in their, I'm going to say, early 20s. They just left about a third of the way through the movie. Yeah. They just got up and left. Some people and came in late and then promptly took off like five <laughs> minutes later from my screening too. I was kind of hoping the, the theater would be either, yeah, maybe full of random uh, drunk college students who wanted to at least you know yell at the screen, which I would have been so into in this context, or or just like empty. you know. But instead it was like a respectably third full like late matinee screening. You know, on a Saturday, so it was like there was twenty people in there, and I was I was seriously considering if there was like no one there, then fuck it, I'm going to live blog this thing, you know, just tweet yeah. the whole web. But I was like, I can't do that. Uh, you know, as much as this movie is not something that would be a heartbreaker to be distracted from, I, I'm not going to be that guy in the theater like with a bunch of people behind me. So, right. do you remember at any point anybody in the theater actually laughing, like at, you know, like the way the people laugh, like at a funny joke in a yeah. movie theater? No. I I, yep. I I think I, I remember more or less dead silence and occasional commenting from one person to another uh, a couple rows behind me, I think. Yeah, for a movie that is ostensibly either horror or a comedy, the audience did not react to it as a <laughs> horror or a comedy. 
there was a real it's a surprising lack of, of of responsiveness yeah there was there was more laughing at 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 hateful eight which admittedly is much funnier than this but also tries to be funny much much less frequently yeah um god I liked I liked the moments in the film where I could wonder if maybe it was going to magically achieve some accidental Silent Hill uh, effectiveness. Like, so yeah. here, 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 here's a thing that could, again, could have been promising if it was developed more interestingly and the characters actually got a chance to explore it, is Krampus gets summoned because Max rips up his letter to Santa full of heartfelt wishes for all of his family, including his shitty, you know, other family coming to visit. Uh, and it's all like it's all like he he doesn't like the letter it it he doesn't wish for like any harm to people he like genuinely wants nice things to happen to his family including like the members of his family that are openly shitty to him and you know yeah, is yeah, part of the like, family he's like they're they're having a hard time yeah. so please help them out and and you know help out yeah, my cousins help, uh, and wish, whatnot yeah and I wish like Uncle Howard didn't wish his girls were boys <laughs> um, that was a little was, bit of shade but uh, yeah. But yeah, well I mean, and, 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 and like there's like the yeah like the Uncle Howard like he's the, they've got like four kids they got the baby Howie Jr. who is like you know like the the dead eyed small child and then they have I don't know if they were supposed to be twins like they're clearly I mean they're I don't think like they're supposed fraternal. to be twins I think they're just supposed to be a they were closely, the same age I, I assume that they were like fraternal twins like Maybe. they're definitely not identical twins but they were like very 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 tomboyish yeah uh, to the to the extent that like you know if somebody was just like oh those, those you know are young boys I'd been like all right whatever. Um, and, and yeah, so she, like, one of the, one of the, one of those girls, like, finds and steals Max's letter to Santa and then reads it at the dinner table, and then she's just like, oh, I hope mom and dad fall in love again, and then she gets, like, the part about her family, she's just like, I hope that Uncle Howard and, you know, who, you know, Aunt whatever, you know, get better, because I know they're having a more difficult time, and then she turns the letter over and stops reading aloud, and then she yells, I Dad does not wish we were boys. My Which, cat just uh, knocked over a lamp. It's a big cat day on this podcast. <laughs> well, it's, it's 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 one of those Tetris lamps. So it's technically like seven lamps that are oh, small I really pieces. Oh, I really want one of those. Is yeah. the, are they are they are they as cool as they seem, or are it, they? It's not? Pr- I mean, it, it lights up like you would think would like light up. So yeah. you know, you kind of you're, you're getting what you think you're getting yeah. there. It's it's, yeah. it's kind of fiddly and flimsy, but uh, it's amusing. Yeah. I would feel weird, but my wife just started working for a company that sells like all sorts of different kinds of lights. And there's like she they, they just let her take home returns and stuff. So our our house is full of like really nice like we, we had like a couple of people over for New Year and like, you know, we put it like there was all sorts of lights we put up and stuff, so I would feel weird buying a light now. Yeah. But yeah, that Tetris light always looked pretty cool. Yep. Do you have to reassemble it now that it was knocked over? Is it like locked together? <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. It does. It just it's sort of balanced. That's why it's kind of fiddly. Like you just balance the pieces, on the so you can't do any like cantilevering or anything like that. You have to build a fairly stable structure, and then you the accidentally arrange to... it into a line, and then it just disappears. <laughs> <laughs> was, was that was that also in Futurama where they're like? Um, where, where they're like, there's like a construction site that's Tetris, and you know they've got like the the rows lined up, and they've got like the long bar, and it drops, and the guy's like, no, 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 and then it drops, and all the rows disappear. And he's like, oh god damn it! If it wasn't, it should be because that's a yeah. good bit. That's a solid bit. Um, you were you, you were know saying what? This something movie didn't have a lot of solid bits. 
there were well, there's a lack of solid bits. There were lots of things that could have been bits, maybe, but then they weren't bits, and it's kind of a bummer. You know, every time I got hopeful that maybe they're going to just like make the turn into the section of the film that like becomes a coherent thing that lasts for 15 minutes at a stretch, it just keeps not happening. You know, like the, Allison the, Tolman uh, grabs an grabs a an axe, or or Tony Collette had the axe, or I think. Alison Tolman. Well, I think they the both axe. had it at different times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Alison Tolman has like this brief, like you know, mama bear moment where she just like you know really starts taking out. Like she she just like axes like the evil teddy bear in the face, and then just like it goes away as quickly as it came in. Yeah, which was disappointing, especially because like the when when um Howard is arming himself and Adam Scott, like he gets out his like you know tactical shotgun with like a. It wasn't even like it, it was. There was it was like one of those giant ass flashlights strapped to it. Like I, I, it was it was it was like comically oversized. I think I've never seen like a flashlight that big strapped to a shotgun. Admittedly, I'm not like a big gun person. And then there's also like a a revolver. And Adam Scott's like, "This is heavy." And Howard was like, "Oh yeah, it's Linda's." Uh, oh, is that her name, Linda? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Linda's. Um, and and yeah, so I was surprised that at no point does she like you know arm herself with the gun like her sister does. Uh, Tony Collette like shoots a couple of things. Yeah. And Adam Scott is like surprised, and she's like, "Er." And it's supposed to be like one of the, I guess one of those moments where he's just like, "Oh, my wife is slightly more badass than I thought," but they don't set up the fact that she isn't. And and they don't set up the fact that she doesn't know how to shoot again. It's there's yeah. no no part of that like that resolution. It's a resolution to something that was never set up. Yeah, you, you and know, so it okay. doesn't work. You, you, you know those make a monster like kids books where it's like it's got like a head and a torso and a foot section. Oh, and oh so well, you like can, each page is chopped into three. And yeah, you sort of like rearrange. Yeah, like so you can flip through them and yeah. you get, get a random monster made out of piece. I feel like everything in this movie that should have been an, a, a miniature arc with a through line happened like that. They just like had a make a script book. And then they it's never they never got three panels of just feet. Yeah, they, they they never got all three pieces to line up for any of them. And instead, so we we get all these 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 setups that have no payoffs or payoffs that didn't have a setup. You know, everybody. If I'm going to continue to unflatteringly imagine the content of the future director's commentary for this film, I feel like there's several moments in this film that the director or writer could refer to as, oh, and here's Adam Scott's hero turn. And, and and what they mean is this is the part where he briefly does something badass that's not really in character, but also we never follow up on it, and he goes back to his previous behavior, and there's no character development whatsoever involved. Because like you can't yeah, just you can't just be yeah. sort of vaguely badass for a moment as a yeah, blip. The- as what you, you can't just do that as a blip unless like part of the idea of the scene is to communicate the blippy nature of like heroics or whatever. But the film does not have anything to say about the nature of bravery or heroism or anything like that. You know, it just it sort of happens when it happens and usually involves grasping a weapon. Yeah, like Howard is constantly like treating Adam Scott's character like you know he's like a big wuss, but we the the movie doesn't and like I guess like the part of it is that like the movie doesn't bear out the fact that he's a wuss, and we're supposed to think that like Howard is just being shitty at him, but the movie doesn't tell us anything about him. Yeah, like so the, like the, you know when he's got like the big like you know all the like toward the end of the movie where he like you know gets the family into the snow platter he's just like you go I'll you know I have to stay here and like shoot at this thing under the snow that at no point like at no point um seemed like it was any kind of a threat to the snowplow. 
Like, yeah. I feel like he would have been safer in the snowplow instead of just shooting at this. I, I mean, yeah, it's, what it's, was it's, that it's thing it's like the this, snow? I, I don't know. One of Krampus's minions, Krampus himself. I don't know. We, yeah. we never find out. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, that, that really felt like, oh, we need to have the heroic self-sacrifice moment here. You know, this is... Abs- they already had one. They, they had one, like, two minutes prior well, yeah. when, like, the grandmother does it. Yeah, no, and... And that and, one at least was, like, uh, that one made sense. That one made sense, but also you totally can't buy that character-wise, because it's not like she said something super meaningful that convinced her son that it was time to accept, you know, her inevitable death at the hands of this monster or whatever. It was more like she stays inside, and then, like, the kid tells the dad that, oh, hey... No, or something. I, I don't. I don't remember. She, exactly how well, it yeah, up he's, he, well, she does board the door up, like behind. Oh yeah, him. yeah, yeah. And then, but yeah, like she is super cryptic throughout a lot of this movie, and I feel like a lot of their problems would have gone away if she was just like, "Listen, a giant monster is coming. We should leave." Yeah, instead of keep the fire hot, maybe no, no, yeah. literally keep the fire hot because otherwise, the thing that is coming to kill you that I know about uh, will get down the chimney. So the fire, keep the fire hot. You know. Yeah, like there, there, there was a point in this movie where everybody was just like, okay, something super fucking freaky and supernatural is going on, where they would have believed every word she said, and instead of like giving them like ideas on how to fix this, she tells them this story about like the origin of Krampus and like why Krampus has cursed their family. Except at no point is it clear that like she brought Krampus's attention to them, but at no point is it clear that that. You know, no other family could do that, or that their family is special in some way. Like, I feel like she like tries to take part of the blame in a way that makes no sense, and then she like heroically sacrifices herself again in a way that just did not need to happen. Like, they could have just as easily locked Krampus in the house. Like, would she? She bought them what? Like forty-five seconds, a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much of which they spent, you know. Trying to arguing out directly yeah. outside of the thing. Yep. Um, Beth, uh, the the daughter, completely wasted. Like, there's a bunch of like little threads about like you know her coming into her own as like you know a teen and you know like a a a you know a sexual being and and you know like, there's her boyfriend who lives nearby. Yeah, she, and- yeah, and and th- and then just she's just immediately killed off, and and that thread goes nowhere. Like, there's even, like, you know, as, as Tony Collette is putting up, like, was she putting up the, their, their Christmas pictures through the years or I, something? I guess, yeah. Like, nailing new nails it's into like, the wall, and, like, she sees that, like, Santa is leering at their daughter in the photo and just sort of rolls her eyes and leaves the picture up. Um, and, and yeah, so they, they set up, like, all of this stuff for Beth, and then they go nowhere with it, which, which sucks, because she seemed, like, kind of an uh, interesting character. Because uh, at one point, like, Max is talking about, uh, like, the, he's just like, yeah, that guy that he was started a fight with was trying to tell everybody that, like, you know, Santa was just invented for, by the Pepsi Corporation. And then Beth just, like, looks up her phone, says Coca-Cola, and then just looks back down at her phone. Um, and, yeah, like, she was, I feel like she would have been a much more interesting character in this movie than they let her yeah. be by just immediately killing her. Well, I, I think if they'd, like, picked two or three characters and actually done something with them, it could have it could have worked even with more or less the same ensemble otherwise. But, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just a goddamn mess. It's a goddamn mess as a film. And uh, <laughs> I want to apologize to anybody who went and saw it just on, on our behalf for this show. Cause yeah, I, if you I, haven't I, seen it, don't go to the theater. <laughs> Um the so the 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 ending. Yes. Um so so what happens at the so so the, you know Adam Scott sacrifices himself. I think Adam, you know, 
everybody except basically like by the time they get to the snowplow, everybody except Max and um, one of the two. Yeah, Stevie, I think one of the yeah, two Stevie. twins. Yeah, and then Max is trying to start the snowplow and it won't start, and then Stevie gets eaten, and then so, uh, and then Krampus leaves Max alive or or uneaten, and and this you know it. You hear like the grandmother's thing about like because the grandmother was also left behind by Krampus after he took her family, um, and yeah, so and then he he he's alone, and then he somehow tracks them down in the snow, just inexplicably. Yeah, he's he able to find where they've all Krampus gathered and co. Um, yeah, and then he's just like, I take back my wish, and then he throws this like little Krampus ornament and. From the Krampus ornament emerges like a hellmouth, and I feel like the movie was like beginning to like. I, I feel like they thought it was a really clever bait and switch, where you think that like you know him wishing something on like the Krampus ornament and the hellmouth opening would swallow up Krampus, and then you know his family lets out of the sack. But then it turns out clearly that Krampus had summoned this thing, and then there's just like bait and switch after bait and switch after bait and switch of him being like you know just like trying different things to figuring out different things to just like let Krampus, like, uh, let everybody go and just go away by, like, you know, believing in Christmas or whatever. Yeah, he's just really plowing through the, the, the grand self-sacrificing moral gesture. Like, yeah, yeah, know, it's like Rolodex. he's got, like, a list of things that work. And, and like, and one of them, like, Krampus actually, like, stops and there's, like, you know, gets really close into his face, at which point we realize that the Krampus face is a mask and not a very good one. It doesn't move. Like, the, there's no facial movement, which is weird considering how many times they close up on it. Yeah, it's just a weird, big, distended sort of gross Santa face. At one point, yeah, a tongue I mean, it's, comes it's, out. It's better than bad CGI, but it's also like, well, yeah, no like, animatronics yeah. exist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't look bad, per se. It's just it's weird that they went with basically a mask aesthetic. And they do the same thing with yeah. the, the elves that we see, who also have really static sort of ceramic mask looking faces too yeah. so at least it's kind of consistent but at the same time it is weird that they went in that direction if this is your big bad and you're going to make it a reveal that he's got this sort of dark santa face then yeah yeah, yeah. Gonna... they yeah they definitely didn't they when, when you really see the face close up it's clear that they decided to not go with like a goat man and make him like look like a a like the face looks like you know like an evil saint nick like you know just weirdly like stretched out and it is a cool mask if it was a halloween mask i'd say it's really cool but yep. like as the face of a, a of the villain it, it should move or something yeah anyway so he like takes one of his claws and like max is crying and he like like scrapes off one of the tears and he looks at it and you think this is going to be the thing and then everybody starts laughing and then it was just like that would have been much more powerful if we had any characterization for any of the villains at any point in this movie yep it's not like there's a um, sense of rules as part of the thing like this doesn't yeah. even have like the fighting the the you know navigating the strange rules of some terrible supernatural force it's just a supernatural gang of goons and they don't seem yeah. particularly interested in the characters or in the moral aspects of the characters. It's more like whatever. Once, once like Max... Parts of it, like, they're just wreaking havoc, but then they're not. Like, it was... Uh, what, what movie was that? That was With, like, the... Nightmare Before Christmas? Is that what, like, the, the three little kids that, yeah. like, wreak all sorts of havoc? Yeah. Like, yeah. I felt like they were trying to do that, but then they didn't go all the way with it. Where, like, they were trying to, like, do, like, a home invasion-style thing where, like, the family's being menaced, but then they didn't really do anything with that. And so, at the end, you know, like, he just... Krampus just drops him into the Hellmouth, and then it's the, you know, it was all a dream ending. 
where he just like the Max, you know, like is tossing around like under the covers. Like first, you know, you see the covers like over over him, and I thought it was going to be like some sort of reveal that it was going to be Krampus under the sheets or something. But no, it's Max, and <laughs> like in like one brief funny moment of this movie, he's like tossing around and he just like falls right off the bed, which was like a thud. And that yeah, was good. I, I want to correct myself from earlier. That got a laugh. Like people in the theater, everybody sort of chuckled at him thumping out of bed out of a bad dream. So yeah, there was definitely like a polite chuckle. Um, and then he goes downstairs, and like all the family is getting along in a way that's out of character but then isn't really out of character considering well, that and like his, you know, his core s- wish was that Christmas could be the way it used, it to, used be. to be so but like, we're never at any point shown we're, we're never given an idea of like what that means because the way the family comes off is that it, it seems like they've always been shitty to each other yeah like it, um, maybe there was a fracturing in their family at some point around when mom died or something, but we have nothing to work with her. Like, we have no idea yeah, when yeah. that happened. Max what is, did. like, at most 10, yeah, 11. Like, yeah, yeah. So he's got, he's got maybe, like, five years of conscious memories of Christmas. So something must have happened in the last five years, I guess. It just, there's no... But, yeah, everybody's being, like, kind of nice to each other or, like, at least not actively shitty. And, like, you know, maybe, like... It, and you're not given a clear idea. Like, there's so much ambiguity to this ending. You're not given a clear idea as to how out of character the way everybody is acting is supposed to be. Like, did he get his wish? Is Was it actually a dream? And then it turns out that, you know, like, maybe the family isn't so bad and, like, you know, after the stress of, like, the uh, of the dinner and the stress of, like, having to get to their house, like, goes away. You know, like, everybody chills out and they're actually nice to each other and love each other. Was it that? And then, so you're, you're not given any clear indication. And then everybody's unwrapping presents, and he unwraps that Krampus ornament, which that Krampus ornament is introduced when Krampus gives him his ripped-up letter, and, like, wrapped in the letter is the ornament. That's the first time we see it, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, And, so that, and that's this. when Omi, what the, that's when Grandma's like, oh, shit. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he looks at it, and then he, like, is scared, and he looks to, like, Ome, who's the grandmother, and she gives him a knowing look, and then suddenly, like, everybody just, like, slowly starts turning to him and remembering lines from the movie as, you know, like, they're, they're clearly remembering that all of this happened in some way, and then it zooms out, and it's like the Tommy Westfall thing where their house is in a snow globe held by Krampus, who puts it on a shelf, and then it zooms more out, and it's the Indiana Jones ending where there's, like... Like, you know, dozens and dozens of other snow globes in, like, his little, you know, evil workshop. I do not know what this ending means. Yeah, no, it, it seems it seems like there's multiple readings here. Maybe the nature of being touched by Krampus is that he's always watching you. Maybe the nature of the situation is as soon as he swept in, they were trapped forever in a snow globe of falsehood. Maybe. Yeah, like, are they trapped in Christmas forever? Yeah. Well, and, or and, did and, they learn their lesson? Yeah, like, is it more like Krampus will always have his eye on you from now on? Or are they literally, like, you know, Moriarty in that episode of Next Generation with the private hollow cube or whatever? Uh, in which case, that's, you know, are they, yeah, like, are they given some sort of, you know, like, are, are they rewarded with, like, a perfect world that they know is fake, like that Twilight Zone episode? I, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's really hard to read. And, like, the thing is, the movie just doesn't really deserve the level of questioning we're giving it. Like, you know, this this could have been a weirdly ambiguous ending to an otherwise good film, and I would actually kind of care about this argument. But in practice, like, the film is such a mess, there's no reason to even, like, vote for one versus another option that's... 
I can't get as worked up about a good ambiguous ending as I would like to be able to. Yeah. Um, my interpretation that I'm going to run with is that like Krampus sort of yanked them into a little pocket universe the moment he showed up or, or at least uh, transitioned into one because like it is like everybody else is like weirdly missing from the neighborhood. The power is completely out. There's no response from anyone. The, the, the one thing that really fucks with this is the DHL shot guy showing up to deliver a package, like delivers a fruit basket or some shit. But he's like yeah, the only. Like a big... He's like. And, and the... did, 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 wait, did he did he deliver just the fruit basket, or also like that big red thing of gifts? No, the, bi- the big sack there? of Krampus Griffs was there. He was like, oh, I, oh, it looks like he got another one here. It must oh yeah, yeah. He said it must brown. have been the boys in brown. Yeah. Um, the UPS that dare not speak its name. Uh, that's the, that's some that, that's that's some good uh, branding there. You have to say once you've got people pointedly not mentioning in you in the film, mentioning you uh, yeah. because they decided to product place yeah. the com- competition instead. You know, that's yeah. you've I, pulled I, off. I, yeah, I wish I knew what the relationship of DHL to FedEx and UPS was because I always thought that like the FedEx and UPS guys were in you know like in competition or something and then like when i was working retail i talked to a, a fedex guy i'm like so what do you think of the ups guys he's just like oh they're great they uh ups pays all their parking tickets uh so they can park anywhere they want so they could deliver packages faster but <laughs> fedex fedex drivers are independent contractors so ups guys will move out of legal spots into illegal spots to let fedex guys park ah yeah um so i what Anyway, that guy that guy's there, but but other than that, mm-hmm. and whoever was driving the snowplow and that disappeared, we get like no sign of anybody else existing. So so the the whole pocket universe they live inside the snow globe now thing, uh, sort of works as one explanation based on that. And you kind of have to feel bad for that DHL guy then, because I think like we see him perfectly he happy, froze cheery, to death. and then yeah, he froze to death or maybe died screaming. Like that was a real rictus on his face. Like he was sitting up yeah. and alert and clearly very scared. At the moment that he died and then froze, yeah, and we're and 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 no, none of them do that. Like he's sort of like unambiguously killed, and none of the other like every, all the other corpses are either missing or 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 not actually dead or or, or something. Yeah, we basically so, don't see anybody's body. the The neighbor house that we see inside of is weirdly iced over inside, but they never find like Beth's boyfriend, who I think was who's supposed to be there. So yeah, so, and also there's like a a um, one of the gingerbread men is like stabbed into the fridge with a knife, <laughs> but it's a stainless steel fridge. So either somebody in that family was super strong, or 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 I don't know. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of little details. Even beyond the incoherence of the film on its face, a lot of little details don't hold up to further scrutiny if you feel inclined. But I, 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 I'm going to try and see through this pocket universe theory. So the guy, the DHL guy. Here's my thing. I think, I think maybe Krampus does a lockdown and he pocket universe as a place, but maybe it sort of starts on a radius, and maybe it's a little bit slow to work. And so what happens is everybody gets sort of like transitioned. Out, who isn't like the target family, uh, and the DHL guy was just in motion, and whoever was doing the accounting and like throwing the switches on the pocket universe closed down was just a little bit sloppy, and so they caught him when they thought he was safely out of the radius, and so he was inside it. And I'm going to say he actually still managed to leave, 
But what happened is he was like weirdly conscious right at the moment of transition. And so what was trapped there is not his dead body, but like a snapshot of the terror on his face at the moment that he went through this. Nobody should actually be paying attention for this process you know, universe transition. So he, he came out the other side in his DTH van and, and drove off and said, Whoa, that was fucking weird. And just had a bad moment. But we see that moment frozen on the face of his, uh, detritus simulacrum in the, uh, snow globe pocket universe. And that's what was going on there. And that's why the, 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 the snow plow truck wouldn't start because it couldn't work because it's like a Langoliers type thing where the universe itself is maybe sort of stopping, Anything that's not like a Krampus approved, yeah. It's, I, I can't really get behind this, but I'm enjoying it more than I enjoyed most of the movies. So, eh, yeah. yeah. Somebody suggested we do Langoliers. Yeah, somebody can go to. <laughs> I just, oh, I don't know if I can. If you're listening, uh, have you, have you seen personal. it? No, I did. I watched it when it originally aired on on TV, and I yeah, thought it was too. really bad. I thought it was really, really bad, and I already had a pretty low opinion of TV like miniseries adaptations of Stephen King books. How old were you when it aired? Oh, I don't know, on. like probably thirteen ish, somewhere around there. Oh, okay, I was considerably younger and considerably more enamored with Bronson Pinchot at the time. <sighs> See, I was I was disappointed that he was not Balky. I was a big Balky fan. Yeah, me so, too. Uh, so him being just some jerk bag. Yeah. Oh, Nineteen ninety five. So I was, yeah, I was, I was 11. like, yeah, I was like fifteen actually. Pierce was Pierce Brosnan in it. Am I misremembering this? Um, Dean Stockwell. Oh, gosh. Who the hell was Dean Stockwell? I don't. Yeah, Dean Stockwell was in it, and he was bad. I mean, I don't know. Mark we, Lindsay Chapman. I don't. I don't know who that is, but that's who I thought the Pierce Brosnan uh, was. We we've talked a little bit uh, in the. Probably more than a little bit, really, in the thinner episode about my feelings about uh, Stephen King dialogue on paper versus on screen. And, and Langlier's struck me as, like, the perfect example of it not working. Like, Stephen King could write a sort of eccentric character like Dean Stockwell's character in Langlier's, and you could sort of say, oh, okay, well, that's just sort of the character on the page and whatnot. But Dean Stockwell acting and saying out loud the things that the character from the book said – just fell so fucking flat. It felt like a bad stage play. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Langoliers also bad. So you know, at least at least this isn't the only bad. <laughs> I wasn't. Ah, man. Yeah. I feel like. Do you, do you have much else to say about this? Because I don't want to like force yeah. another hour of complaining about it. I I really. I didn't think this was a good movie. I guess is my short thing. I guess let yeah. let, let let's briefly acknowledge uh, the. Uh, the riffing on Christmas Carol in here, both like figurative and literal in the film, sort of comes back to how much of a mess it is. Like there could be the thing that this whole thing is Max's uh, redemptive dream. You know, there's there's a read that like you know it's a it's a Scrooge tale, it's a Scrooge McDuck tale, I believe was the name of the character in the original uh, Dickens story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. They 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 watch. Yeah, they're watching like an old version of Christmas Carol on TV at one point early on. So like they're really hitting it on the nose there. Yeah, and, and it's the scene where um, what's his name, Jacob Jacob Marley. Marlowe, yeah, tells Scrooge that he will be visited by three ghosts, and then that doesn't happen in this movie. Yeah, you'll you'll get visited by a variety of things. The calendar thing over the couple days with the advent calendar opening the doors. They don't do anything with that. They only either. open one door. They no, open they, the door for the twenty third. There's a snowman, and they open the door for the twenty fifth all the way at the end. No, they open the door for the 24th too and there was a bear and that's before oh. the bear 
and I other think that toys. That would have been attacked. when I had gone to the bathroom. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That set up like the toys. I, attack I, thing, I, I went to the ba- I, I went to the bathroom right after the CGI movie ended. Ref- immediately regretting staying for the CGI movie. <laughs> yeah, you could have missed that. Uh, and then I got back as Allison Tolman was either shaking or wrapping presents in the attic. She was getting ready to wrap them, yeah. I guess she was going to re So what happens them. between those two scenes? Um, uh, I think basically... Uh, Something with a snowman, I read. Somebody get eaten by a snowman? Maybe... Okay, so Howie... Maybe oh so, so at some point and I don't remember where this was but you know the fire goes out at some point you know uh, the the militaristic uh, brother in law tells Adam Scott to get some sleep and he'll take first watch and then predictably we get a smash cut to him passed out and uh, and the fire's gone out and they've not kept the fire hot despite Grandma's way underwhelming you know suggestion to do so and. Uh, uh, a chain comes down the chimney, and there's a gingerbread man attached. I to saw, it. yeah, no, yeah. that that was before that. Okay, so so sometime after that, I don't know. So so, and after the house, after the tree catches on fire, the presents get burned. Then probably Grandma tells a story, uh, and then and then I think Allison Tolman's up in the attic after like the door gets opened for the twenty fourth and shows a bear sitting under the tree next to a present. And she's, I guess, wanting to rewrap the presents for the kids, despite the fact, again, despite the fact that, like, multiple children are missing, at least one of whom they literally saw in a terrifying scene, dragged up through the chimney on a chain, but got to wrap those presents again. This is this is definitely the motivations of human beings experiencing a situation. Uh so she, she's like going to wrap the presents again. And she seems to not recognize one of the presents and sort of listening to it. And I guess maybe it's the Jack in the box. But uh, then she gets distracted by a conversation with Tony Collette and doesn't end up rewrapping this gift she doesn't recognize. And, and later the monsters come out of these gifts and that's where the big ruckus with the bear and the angel and the Jack in the box and so on happens. And it's, a, it's another one of those like, pointless, like, teasy beats. Like, what would have happened if she had not been distracted? Would she have found the horrible monsters that they find anyway because they come jumping out? You know, it's like, where's the. Are we supposed to be super worried that she will open and relieve when she gets distracted? Or are we supposed to be worried that she didn't check it out and find out and take action? Or. And it's like, what do you want? What do you fucking want from the audience in this scene? You know? Anyway, that's what happened, apparently. I started swearing again about the movie because it's bad. Uh, after they opened the the twenty fourth door, uh, but even then, like there's still there's there's nothing to those. Like they use those to sort of like set beats, I guess. But it's like, hey, here's a day where a bunch of shit happens, and then here's another day where a bunch of shit happens, and then here's the twenty fifth, you know, uh, where everything's okay. Except, is it Snow Globe World? Yeah. In retrospect, we should have watched Santa's Sleigh. I think. Uh, or Silent Night, Deadly Night, or one of those. Because <laughs> they would have been bad, too, but they would have been bad in a in a wholesome, straightforward... They, they wouldn't uh, have been $16 bad. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I just want to stop talking about this movie. And I think what we should do is not hastily declare what movie we're going to watch next on the episode, because that's what, what sort of got us into this mess in the first place, and I think that was my fault. Langoliers it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, uh, well, you know, I mean, Happy New Year. I happy just New say Year. That. You know, we've got a we've got a whole year ahead of us. Maybe we'll do more than thirteen episodes this year. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe we'll get more like a fortnight. We'll see what happens. 
Maybe we'll get some people. We'll, we'll resolve to have more guests. What's, on. What do do they have a word for it? Like a double fortnight? Because that's what we ended up doing. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's called a February. Well, uh, it's a fortnight February means fourteen days. nights. So twenty night. Twenty. Twenty-eight. 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 There we go. A twenty-knot. Semi-monthly. Yeah. Or bi-monthly. Well, really just monthly, I guess, is what we're saying. Short monthly. Um, Yeah. What? It's like 28 days. It's like that's, it's you know, two fortnights is four weeks is 28 days. It's most of a month. Not most months, but some months. Not this year, though. Even our February this year. Will be longer than uh, uh, double Fortnite. So, oh, is this a leap year? It is. Hmm. Did they make any horror movies about leap years? I don't know. Someone should. They're that, spooky. Yeah, I mean, it's like where did this How day is there come from? An extra day? Like the make first day that yeah, like like people look in their calendars like, what the fuck is going on? There's there's twenty nine. How is there twenty nine days? How is there a fifth Monday in February? Ah, you know, yeah, it's really well, cool. is there, what the. The curse of February twenty ninth, something huh. like that. Oh, is did you? Oh, find it's it? Korean. It's Korean, but yeah, it looks like there's a a leap year horror movie, and there's another movie that's just called Leap Year that I best first feature at twenty ten and can. Yeah, this is definitely not a horror movie. Uh, uh, there was that horror television yeah, show. Quantum like Leap. Sad movie about Mexico in Mexico. Yeah. Well, hey, but there's a uh, curse of February 29th. Well, maybe we should look into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that said, I think I think I'm done. I think yep. I'm I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very done. Yeah, uh, I, I can't imagine anybody still listening at this point. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. It's been a pleasure as usual. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, sorry again for listening uh, about this movie. But, uh, you know. And if you went to go see this because we went to go see it, we're not going to give you your money back. So you might want to speak with Michael (laughs) Torty or the movie theater. (laughs) All right. Talk to you soon. Godspeed. Godspeed.